You're listening to Passion Pod number 31 with Luke from 10 Greek Street. So, Luke, you're the founder of 10 Greek Street, a restaurant that has kind of become very popular very quickly, I feel, but maybe it doesn't feel like that to you. No, it's, I should say co-founder. I've co-founder. Got business partner, Cam, okay. Cam, who's the chef, Cameron Emirali. So. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's been really exciting. It's been a year and three months. Uh, it doesn't feel like that. It feels about a couple of weeks. It's flown by and we weren't expecting to open and, and be full, but I don't think either of us had ever worked in Soho and it really is such a foodie hub now. There's so many like-minded and interested people that you open something in this area mm. and people are so inquisitive. It's, it's, you know, it's like that. I've worked in other restaurants further out of the centre of London and it takes a few weeks to kind of become known and that's quite nice when you open your restaurant because it gives you time to, <laughs> to breathe to breathe and to work out all your kinks and, and we had reviewers in on the second day and then they came in every day for the next five days in a row we hadn't done much PR and we'd just kind of done a bit of you know social media twittering and stuff and you know obviously friends in the industry and so they were interesting parties but it as I say I think if you just open centrally but I was really surprised how quickly but it was great. Yeah, I was going to say. Know, it's brilliant. As stressful I'm not, as that I'm not, is. You know, I'm not dissing it. It's brilliant. You know, you're just off to a hit the ground running. One know. way to learn, I My guess. blood pressure was at a <laughs> um, dangerously high level. So take me back a bit, Luke. What were you doing before? Have you always been involved in this sort of industry or what's your background? My background is I left uni, did a master's. What were you studying at uni? Anything food related? I did, no, or? no, no. Physiology. Mm-hmm. Completely random. And then finished uni and then did that whole... You know, what am I going to do? Parents saying, what are you going to do with your life? So I, I decided, don't know. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what I want to do. And so I decided to do a master's in property, uh, sort of like a surveying master's back in London. And so I did that. And I kind of knew after the first two weeks that that wasn't going to work out. But when you pay three and a half thousand pounds for something, uh, you finish it as Hard it were. Hard decision. Yeah. So after two weeks, you reckon you well, knew? Well, I fairly was fairly on. sure. After a month, maybe. You know, it, I think on retrospect, it was just the idea of bringing an office in front of a computer was not how I really wanted to kind of work although now I do spend you know a bit of time in front <laughs> of the computer the yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and then restaurants and food and wine and you know everything had just always been a real passion so in the back of my mind that was always kind of there I didn't want to be a chef I love food but I thought that might take away from the actual passion of the food and I love the kind of just the buzz of restaurants and my parents have always said you know just make sure whatever you do just love what you do which is the key I think they said you can be a bin man as long as you love it they, they always said as long as you go to uni and you give education your full the, kind of the full run and then afterwards you can do whatever you want so and how did you end up meeting your co-founder then how did that kind well, of come about I got a job I got a job as a waiter in a restaurant um, called The Zeta it's now called Bistro Bruno and worked there for a bit and then worked in other places for three or four years. So was that a conscious decision that you finished the surveying thing? Was that a conscious decision, right, I want to work in the food industry or was it... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There so was, was a conscious, of... I want to open a restaurant. How do I open a restaurant? Well, you need to learn everything, I think with any industry, but especially with restaurants. There's a number of restaurants open and a number of people who you speak to and then you go, have you ever worked in a restaurant? And they go, no. They're like, well, you're trying to open a restaurant. You know, it's Do a very, research, it's a thing. weird thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I got a job as a as a waiter in a restaurant. Worked there for a bit, and then I left, and I was going to set up a restaurant with someone else, and it fell through. And then I got a job at a wine company, importing wines. Funny um, how those things kind of happen by. Yeah, it was almost the day that Lehman Brothers went 
tits up. So I suddenly went, actually, this might not be, I might just need to give this a few years just to see what happens. It might have been a good time to open, you never know, but it just kind of worked out that way. And a wine company that I'd worked with, who are a wine importer, had approached me anyway and said, do you want to come and work for us? And it was a quite a good opportune moment. And I worked for them for four years. And actually working for a supplier to restaurants, you learn masses because you get to, you know, I looked after 90 different businesses, mainly restaurants, but some wine shops, some, you know, events companies, things like that. And you just, when you're a supplier, you're working with that restaurant you get to see how their business works and you meet loads of people and sort of osmosis I mean so exactly, much to be yeah. soaked up yeah soaked up like and just connections and yeah and seeing how they're successful and also how they're not successful so you get to see a lot of business models so that was great and one of the restaurants that we supplied was called the Whopping Project and my business partner Cam was the head chef there they have a 100% Australian wine list and company I work for is called Liberty Wines and a big Australian importer and so you know worked with them quite closely and then did a lot of wine dinners with them when we had producers over and so I got to know Cam through that and we'd always we'd never worked together but we'd worked in the same restaurants and knew the same people kind of thing and yeah whenever we did a dinner we used to sit down taste the wines and talk about what food would go with what I love it it's like a love affair yeah it's kind of the beginning of a it's amazing yeah and I mean there was a number of things but we we got on really well I always you know, from the start, thought his food was phenomenal. I thought the food at Whopping Project. And then he started doing pop-up dinners in Brick Lane and asked me to help with the wine. And, yeah, it kind of went from there. We became friends. And then one day we were having a beer and going, what are you doing with your life? What? Well, I want to open a restaurant. So I want to open a restaurant as well. And the important thing, if you're going into partnership, I think, I'd always envisage going into partnership with a chef if I was going to open a restaurant. I think it's really important, that balance between the kitchen and the floor. Why is that? Why is that so important? Well, I don't think it's... There are successful restaurants that don't have that, but it just keeps the balance. Between. You have your own sort of patch, almost. Yeah, but you're very much working together. You don't... If I just had 10 Greek Street and I had hired a head chef, as much as that head chef might be passionate and work for it, it's not his. It's, you know, he's not living or dying by it. He can ultimately walk away and say, oh, it was them, it didn't work out. But if you're both working, you both are as passionate, you both care about it as much. And it just keeps the balance, nothing gets forgotten. You know, I, I look after the floor, the wine, the beverage, the kind of business side, and Cam looks after the kitchen and, and the food and, and all of that side. And obviously we have input into each other's side. Often you go to restaurants that either it's the chef who's the patron and then you're thinking well the food's great and everything but the service is kind of lacks it down or sometimes the other way around where it's the people who own it and run it are front of house and then you think well the kitchen lets it down not always the case but that i just think that it's good to have that partnership quite hard to find somebody though that you can connect with massively yeah on a level enough to sort of entrust them to the other half almost yeah 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 and that's what had happened with me a few years before when i'd left to open the restaurant and then I actually sat down with the guy who I was doing it with, who I got along with very well, and we were kind of mates. Um, but then you started saying, I think we should do this, and he's like, well, I want to do this. And you sort of almost know straight just away. Just on a completely different, you know, he wants Michelin star tablecloths and foams and something very upmarket, which is great, but just not what I want to do. I wanted to do a very relaxed, very casual, informal place that does you know, hopefully really amazing food and really good wine and it's not expensive. I think that's, you know, what we're trying to achieve. Which is also quite an interesting combo in this area of town as well. Yeah. Going back to what you were saying at the beginning about the location. I think consciously we were always wanted to be 
affordable wherever we were going to be. But when we found the site in Soho, we did sit down and think, well, you know, 10 years ago there wasn't very much in Soho, and now there's a phenomenal amount of brilliant restaurants. Barafino, I think, is one of the greatest things ever invented. Quo Vardis is brilliant. Bocca de Lupo's, you can just name Arbutus, all within two minutes walk, three minutes walk. But then if you do go out, you're looking at, say, 50, 60, 70 pounds a head, which people are, I know, my friends who aren't, you know, I spend my spare money on restaurants because that's my hobby and going out. But a lot of my friends who are in other professions, they can't afford to be going out and doing that. So we, we kind of wanted to make it a little bit more affordable for people of our younger generation. And, and hopefully, you know, to get people who don't necessarily know much about wine or but are enthusiastic to have access to better wines and to eat, you know, really good food and it not break the budget and in being quite a low-key informal environment. And by making the environment quite low-key and, and low maintenance, low overheads, it means that you hopefully touch wood if your business model works. You know, your markups don't have to be as high because you're not paying as larger rents, as larger day-to-day running costs, etc. It's a formula that's very popular at the moment, isn't it? Yes, yeah. that's yeah, it. Yeah. You know, look at uh, Russell Norman, who started Polpo, who's phenomenally successful, and he very much pioneered that. And and that's kind of, you know, the formula is supposed to having, you know, one customer who pays 250 quid, you have 20 customers paying yeah, 30 the... quid ahead. And, you know, it's a higher turnover, it's, and it's a kind of snowball effect. The more people you have in, the more people they're telling, the more people that are coming back, it just... And the evidence is in that the completely buzziness, what are we at now, five to three, and you're still super busy, and the proof is in the pudding, isn't yeah, it, I guess? Yeah, hopefully, yeah, yeah. Both of us have, you know, run restaurants for other people, but we've never had our own, so there is that constant scare in the back of your mind that tomorrow no one will... You know, that like Every everyone on this like, side, that's come. it. You know, and you'll, be, you'll just have an interest. So you never get complacent about that. But yeah, touch wood, it's... And again, it is Soho, it's just buzzing. You know, there's... I think if you do a good product and you're working hard at it and you're passionate about it, and it's Soho just... It's not ever an area that's going to be quiet, I don't think. No, no, no. And I do believe, honestly, that in Soho you can open anything. And for the first three months, six months, you will be packed. It's after that that people decide that you're not the new thing anymore and and they're not checking you out. So do you think that's when you have to, you you know, the proof's in the pudding. If you're any good, if what you're doing is value for money, that people will keep coming back. That's the important thing, I think. Do you think that's your biggest challenge then, the longevity? Perhaps I'll rephrase that, like setting up your own business. What has been the biggest challenge for you guys, do you think? I don't really know, to be honest, what the biggest challenge has been. I think the whole thing. It's the greatest thing, I think Cam would say the same, the greatest thing I've ever done and the most exciting thing. But it is, there's so many things that you are constantly thinking about and it never stops. And if you're not here, you're still thinking about it. And that's true if it's any business thing about a restaurant is it's you're always on show so you're constantly having to make sure that that your levels don't drop the challenges change obviously what the greatest challenge for us are the challenges at the beginning was to get it off the ground and everything in place that we were doing a good enough product that you know people enjoyed and we were confident we could do that but it's you know the most nerve-wracking thing that you could ever go through is creating something out of nothing and putting that on display for people to judge and I suppose it's the same as making a film or Anything creative, Anything probably, creative. actually, isn't it? And then it? just standing back and watching people either enjoy it or, you know, that's the kind of, that was great. But the challenge now, you know, for 10 Greek Street is to make sure, you know, that we weren't just good for six months and then we've let it all drop off, that we stay at the same level as good as we were for as long as, you know, as long as we're here. At the same time, one of the ways to judge how successful a business is, is if it works as well if you're not there especially with a restaurant very hard that yeah number of restaurants that open with uh, operators who then can't ever leave that restaurant 
it means it's not successful. If we wanted to open another restaurant, obviously you have to look at Ten Greek Street has to be a being that works on its own without us there. So whilst that's maybe not delegating, it's I suppose it is delegating. You have to make sure that you have great staff and people around you and touch wood we've got some really great people working for us it's a big challenge that though isn't it when you've created your own business i think that yeah. level of delegation and, and letting handing go. it over yeah yeah massive and i'm sure if you spoke to them they'd tell you that i'm really annoying because i'm constantly like calling and texting even after i've left calling and they're of course they've done it and i'm slightly ocd anyway and but you you're always thinking about that and um it is quite hard letting go, but you kind of have to at some point, otherwise you go mad, go mad. Yeah, quite quickly. Yeah. I guess, and that comes back to sort of clear ideas at the beginning of you guys knowing what you're setting out to do, and yeah. you know, just going back to that. Are there, is there any advice that you have for someone that might be setting something up? How you sort of bridge the transition between working for someone else and then working for yourself from a sort of financial point of view? Um, well, I think that in terms of setting up a restaurant, the reason it's people find it hard with a restaurant is that the initial outlay of capital is so high before anything comes in. Because to open your front doors of a restaurant takes most of your capital. Um, before you've so done you're anything. immediately in the red almost, as yeah. it were. So you've got to budget quite carefully. It can be done on relatively low budget, but because there are so many factors that go into it, if you're not careful, it can completely get carried away from you but you know the number of restaurants that I hear that said it costs x million amount of pounds to set up and you just think well how are you ever getting that money from the start you're already fighting a losing battle because you spent so much on the setup so you do have to be careful but I don't think that should put people off because if you go into that with your eyes open and you know that there is this initial outlay of capital and you just keep your expenditure tight then it can be done as, as we've done and you can get investment in various number of ways nowadays you know there's the old bank way there's business people investors equity firms there's friends and family and then there's a lot of restaurants are now doing this type of finance I can't remember what it's called crowdfunding Crowd funding yeah yeah. yeah yeah which is becoming very popular and the clove club have just opened in um shoreditch town hall and they've done it and i know lots of other people have done it and that's a really interesting idea as well and then obviously bridging from you know you have to remember also that you as a person and you need to be earning money in order to live in order to pay your rent or pay your mortgage or you know feed your kids or whatever or whatever it is so that's a challenge that needs to be addressed so you know we were working whilst setting it up working slightly less part-time and then ultimately there is going to be a time where you're going to be on a relative shoestring but you know you're working towards an end game and that's what you have to keep telling yourself that the income is going to be low at the start because you're and you're going to be working more hours than the sun is up than you even thought was in a day yeah 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 and it, <laughs> and it just but there is obviously it's your own business and it's hopefully is the greatest thing that you're going to do and, and so that's, there's that kind of end goal. Anyone who thinks they're going to open a business, whatever it is, and immediately be vastly rich and successful and, you know... Stay like well clear of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like get a reality check. Yeah. Um, just final question. If you were to give yourself advice, yeah. what advice do you reckon you'd have given yourself? I think it's the preparation. You can never be too prepared or know too many different um, contacts or websites or you know just everything and to learn about you know all the boring stuff, the accounting, the setting up of a business that we didn't know until we needed to know and then had to do it really quickly and panicked. You know. Did you seek advice on those or there were yeah, there skills yeah, that yeah. you had that you could apply to them or? A little bit of both, but we have a bookkeeper, we have a financial guy who's helped us set it up and, and lots of businesses work in different ways, it's just that's how we work. I think um, um, someone said to me recently, which is the best thing I've heard about uh, starting a business, 
she started a company called The Holding Company, which was a kind of home furnishing company. And she said, out of nothing, you've created something that now employs 15 to 17 people. So out of you creating something, you've created jobs, you've created a living for those 17. And I never looked at it that way. So that's the most rewarding thing I've heard about starting your own business. You've been listening to Passion Pod number 31 with Luke from Ten Greek Street.